who she is. She's, she is awesome. Uh, and then my brother um, always gives kind of an emotional, heartfelt um, kind of Thanksgiving. And uh, then myself, because I'm the youngest and kind of sometimes the jokester, I say something like this. I'm just thankful that my brother doesn't beat me every week like he used to when I was younger. Uh, and then I say something serious. And uh, then my mom always, you know, gives gratitude to all families all together and how awesome it's to see that. And then my dad kind of closes with a very cerebral kind of uh, theological answer that's, um, that's always really good. But as this year we are going around and sharing, I'm thinking about it, uh, that we share on Thursday, I wonder about this exercise for my family. And I wonder about, uh, you know, my sister, my brother giving Thanksgiving, my mom and my dad. And I had talked to them. I was going to share this with you guys this morning, and um, they said it was okay. How's my sister supposed to give Thanksgiving? She just had a miscarriage two weeks ago. How is she supposed to give Thanksgiving? My brother has a, had a very, very difficult year. A, probably one of the hardest years in his whole life. How is he supposed to give Thanksgiving? My mom works on a care team with church, and um, they put her on a team to work with some really heavy, heavy cases. Suicide, um, abuse, um, just some very heavy things. How is she supposed to give Thanksgiving? My dad, who has always been full of energy and vigor to work outside, he's on a farm, um, he, he is slowing a little. Now, he really hurt his finger very badly, um, and as a surgeon and now as a cook, um, to not be able to work his finger the way he's wanted to in the past, how can he give thanksgiving? And then me, the one that tried to kind of sustain peace in the family and make sure all the dynamics are right and I just can't because it's chaos in my house on Thanksgiving. How am I supposed to give Thanksgiving when many times it's very difficult for me to be around my family on Thanksgiving Day? Is it easy for you to give thanks this year? Does it seem forced after the year you've had? So what, what, is, what is this thankfulness, gratitude. What is the importance of it? Is that just what we do at Thanksgiving time? It's tradition's sake, so that's what we do? Is it so we can remain positive? So we can have positivism in our life? That we can just move forward even when it's difficult? What does it mean to have Thanksgiving and gratitude in the Christian life? What does it mean to have that in the Christian life? What does that look like? What is it for? I think the Psalms give us many answers to that. Today we're going to look specifically at Psalm 138 and what it says about Thanksgiving. So let's pay attention to God's Word as we look at Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing you pr your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have, exalt you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, 
for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would help us uh, to be transformed by your word. That we would know the position of thankfulness that we are supposed to have as Christians and what it looks like in our lives. pray these things in your son's name. Amen. We're just joining us. Uh, this is not typical. Uh, the typical thing we do as Emmaus Road is we go through a book of the Bible. Uh, but there are times on Once in a Blue Moon in between books that I like to look at specific topics. And uh, today, because it's kind of before Thanksgiving, I thought it would be good to look at um, the topic of uh, Thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, we will uh, be continuing. We were in the Minor Prophets for the fall. We will finish the Minor Prophets in December as we look at the book of Habakkuk. So if you want to read ahead of time, you can look at that book. And uh, then we will be starting in a gospel um, in the new year. So that's kind of uh, the plan. So again, let me have grace for me. If you're not a topical kind of person, I don't like topical sermons either. I like to just do exposition. But I think it's fitting as a church in the time of season that we should talk about the issue of thankfulness and um, gratitude. So um, that said, that's what we're doing this morning. Some of you might be surprised that uh, thankfulness didn't start with Thanksgiving. Okay, I don't know if you know that, but uh, thankfulness um, started way before that. And it uh, started at the beginning of time, probably. And in the Bible, we see Thanksgiving from the beginning of Cain and Abel and giving sacrifices and thanks um, to God. Uh, we see thankfulness uh, over in the Old Testament, the way that people set up celebrations and altars and, and festivals to thank God for what he's done. And then continually celebrating that year and year as Israel looks back at the faithfulness and goodness of God, giving him gratitude and thanks for what he's done. And then the Psalms, it kind of takes a more personal nature. Specifically, we look at the Psalm of David this morning, that's Personally, the psalmist comes to God and gives thanksgiving to him in his writings and his poetic, um, uh, poetic nature of, of the psalms. Also, we see thanksgiving in the very nature of Jesus. Uh, you know this, but when Jesus was with his last supper with his disciples, what does it say? He gave thanks, right? Um, the very Greek word of that is uh, Eucharistia, which uh, we get the word today in the early church, Eucharist. So when we take communion, it comes from that word of God giving thanks, Eucharist. And uh, in the very thing of when we take the elements of the bread and the wine and we take communion, it is an act of thanksgiving for what God the Father did for Jesus and what he did through him through his death and resurrection. So Thanksgiving is not just coming about because of the celebration of Thanksgiving, but is from the beginning of time. I would argue this this morning to you all. If you're going to hear anything I say, please hear this. This is kind of the point of the sermon. I would argue that we give thanks, are giving thanks. It is the posture 
of those who believe in a good and gracious God. Thankfulness, gratitude, is the posture of those that believe in a good and gracious God. So do you believe that? Do you have a heart of thanksgiving, of thankfulness, of gratitude? Well, the psalmist does, doesn't he? Let's look together. David has a posture of thanksgiving, both figuratively and literally. I bow down, right, towards your holy temple. David says, I give thanks for your love and your faithfulness. And David, when he says, before the gods, I sing your praise, David's not saying that there are other gods, again, lowercase g. He's saying that our God is above the gods that these other nations worship because he is the one and only true God. And David is giving thanks to this God, exalting his name, realizing and being in a posture to say, this God deserves thanks and praise. I also argue this morning, I think ingratitude is at the very core of the fall in the beginning of sin entering this world. You think about it, what did the serpent, what did Satan kind of try to say to Eve? You know, there is more. <laughs> there is more than this garden. There's more than what God has given you. You should partake of something else. You shouldn't just be thankful and grateful for all that he's given because there is something more. And gratitude is at the core of the sin and the beginning of humanity wandering from God and going their own way. Romans repeats that message. The beginning of Romans talks a lot about the corruption of our world, both the Greek world and and the Jewish world. And it says this in Romans 1. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. We are not satisfied with God. We are not satisfied what He gives. And we look somewhere else to be able to be sustained. We are not thankful and grateful for what we have now. Well, uh, you know, I have to be in the Christian world. I'm a pastor, right? So I should see the buzz and what people are reading and what things are going on. I'm probably late for the party. Uh, but uh, this is a book that uh, was a New York Times bestseller. And um, I guess every woman, Christian woman in America has read it or something like that. The 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. I don't know if anyone's read it um, here. Uh, but uh, Ann writes a really good book. I, I mean, some of her theology, I think, is a little off, but for the most part, I, I, it's good. And I'm not a person that likes to read just poetry and flowery language. So once I got over that, I'm like, I can appreciate what she's saying, okay? So if you're okay about bad grammar and uh, just poetry and fluff and missile fluff, but um, it's a good book. Sorry to offend anyone that likes the book, but I think it's good, and I want to share some of it um, this morning and, and what she's said. So Anne um, Boskamp um, was, uh, she's lives on a farm and has six kids, and uh, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer. And so in hearing this diagnosis, um, you can tell some bitterness, some anger, um, not in a happy place. And she uh, accounts how she went to go get her hair done. 
And uh, in the place where she gets her hair done, she saw um, a lady reading a book. And the book was a thousand places you have to go visit before you die. And it hit Anne hard because she realized, I might never see those places. I might not see even one of those places. And in her kind of anger and bitterness, she talked to friends about this situation. And a friend encouraged her, Anne, why don't you write a thousand things that you're thankful for? And so she starts this list. And some of the things on the list, they are poetic. They're beautiful. Morning shadows across the old floors. Jam piled high on the toast. The cry of blue jay from high in the spruce. She goes on and and she says this, and this is very good. I too had read it often. The oft-quoted verse, and give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.20 And I too would nod and say straight face, I am thankful for everything. But in this counting gifts to 1,000, I discovered uh, um, more. I discovered that slapping a sloppy brush of thanksgiving over everything in my life leaves me deeply thankful for very few things in my life. A lifetimes of sermons on thanks in all things and the shelves sagging with books on these things. And I testify this. Life-changing gratitude does not fasten to a life unless nailed through with one very specific nail at a time. And so when she started writing these thousand things, she was able to see clearly and poignantly as she puts her hand to the pen and the pen to the paper, what God had actually done for her. I don't know what the exercise is for you to be able to get to that place. Maybe it is writing a thousand things. Maybe it is saying those things on Thanksgiving Day, the things that you're thankful for. Maybe it is singing praises to God. But will we see Are we able to see the specific, poignant things in God's creation, in other people, and the things given to us of God's graciousness and thankfulness to us? C.S. Lewis was talking to a man that was uh, wrestling with the idea of fulfillment, a lot what Ann Voskamp was wrestling with. And in talking to this guy dealing with the idea of trying to be fulfilled, Lewis said this to him. He said, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you'll find, it, you'll, find you'll be quite an intolerable person to be around. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and you realize it's not too bad. When I worked in D.C., I think a lot of people, when I spent time there, they say to me now in Wisconsin, what was it like working around that place, the dishonesty, the deception, people fighting and striving and whatever it might be. What was it like? And I, I kind of put it down to one sentence of why I, what I think about D.C. It wasn't so much those things. I think the, the saddest part of Washington, D.C. and working on Capitol Hill was this. 
is that no one was happy in where they were. They were only happy in where they wanted to be. I'm so glad we don't have that problem here, right? It's only in Washington, right? I want to give some specific ideas and application to thankfulness for you. and Kind of the way that we can err in the way that we give thankfulness. One way we can err is this. I call it the kind of the hyper-spiritual view of thanksgiving. And in this, we mute God's physical goodness, the things around us, His creation, the small things, out of a fear that we can't appreciate this world. That we say, oh, nothing is good here. I'm only looking for heaven. I'm only looking for what will come. But God made this world and said it was good. Somehow I think heaven will look a lot more like earth than we realize. That it's okay to write things like this. I am thankful for Jordy Nelson, right? I can say that. I'm thankful there is a receiver like that on the Green Bay Packers that can catch passes. I can be thankful for something like that. I can be thankful for snow and the calmness that it brings. I can be thankful for small little things that might seem very trite. But the thing is, God works in those small things to show His goodness. A clementine. You know? You know, those birds that sit right outside my office in that tree that chirp. I don't know what it could be. But in those small things, God is showing His goodness. At the same time, our, our thankfulness can err in the wrong direction the other way, in what I call hyper-physicality, that we're just thankful for the temporal, and we could care less about the eternal. Hear me, contentment and thankfulness to God and gratitude towards Him doesn't mean you don't want change, okay? However, it does mean that you rest in the faithful and loving promises of what God will do and what He's explained in Scripture. You don't rest in your own ideas of future, your own ideas of what it might be. You rest in His promises and what He has done. You can be content, you can be thankful, even though things aren't working out well now, in the hopes of what will come. So again, thankfulness works both in Reality and the small things now, and it works in the spiritual and the eternal and things we don't see that will happen in the future. And I think it can come concretely in how we interact in our relationships here on earth with our spouse, maybe with friends, with co workers. I find if we do not have a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness to our spouse and those that are around us, it poisons the well in the relationship. Because we start to see the things that our spouse does, or whoever it might be, we see every action that they take is not for my interest, it is for themselves. <laughs> we start to see every action they take and go, oh man, this person is only for them, not for me. That is why I encourage you in the exercise of giving thankfulness to God, maybe it's good to give gratitude and thanks 
for those relations we have around us. Have you ever thought about writing a hundred things about your grateful for and thankful for about your spouse? Have you done that? Can you rattle it off like that? I'm thankful for my spouse for this and that. Or do you take it for granted and instead you see their relationship as, oh, they're only for themselves? But at the same time, that doesn't mean you don't want change in your spouse or those relationships. But you do trust in God's promises and His work upon them to change them and move them. And in doing that, your bitterness and anger and poison that you have towards someone that you do not like very much that might be very close to you will start to change to love and compassion and to gratefulness. How much more If we can do that to our spouse, who has sometimes failed in loving us, should we have gratefulness and thankfulness to God, our Creator and Maker? And how many things could we list there? How much more should our heart be geared towards thankfulness to Him? If the Gospel is really true, are we overwhelmed for what Christ has done for us? The whole earth is full of His glory. Are we living in worship of Him moment by moment? Are you giving things? Giving, are you giving thanks for a thousand things, but you ultimately thanking God for the one thing? His very life, His very Son, our very salvation. Let's go on, shall we? To verses 4 through 6. And David is trying to just kind of grasp this idea of thankfulness. How much praise should there be to God? How much thankfulness and gratitude should there be to our Creator? And he he kind of puts it in, in place. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. This is a very contrary way of thinking. Because kings don't need to thank anyone, do they? They're at the top of the food chain. (laughs) The only one that should be giving thanks is the one below them. They're vassals, those that they protect and they help. Why should a king give thanks to anyone? They're the one that gives gifts to everyone else. The other people should be gratitude to them. You know, thankfulness and gratitude is a big thing in the ancient world, and especially in Greek and Roman culture. And the way that thankfulness and gratitude was worked there is, It was a way to move along the social ladder. So if someone that was above you, financially or with power, gave you a gift, you would give thanks and gratitude back to them and giving a gift back to them in hopes that those good gifts would continue to come. Right? And then those gifts continue to come. Oh, maybe they will help me to be in their sphere and in their circle. Good thing we don't do that now, right? Oh, man. But is that the way we give thanks to God? Is that how it works? That we give thanks to God because we just hope the gifts will just keep on coming? You know, it kind of works in that kind of relationship? I don't think so. In fact, verse 6 points out that's not the way it is. For though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. But the haughty he knows 
from afar. You see, kings and those that are high might work on that kind of relationship with God. Okay, God, I see how it works. Um, I give you things and you give me things back and maybe it will help me. But God says, no. I like those that say there is nothing they can give. Those are the ones that I exalt. Those are the ones that I come near to. A wise pastor, you know, he was talking about this. We have a problem with gratitude because we have become immune to the size of the debt that's been paid. So, so picture this. Um, you're, let's say you got a roommate or something back to college or whatever it might be. Your roommate, you come back in and um, your roommate says, oh yeah, there was a bill that came for you. A hospital bill. Um, I paid it for you. You know, the thing is, how do we know how much thanks to give our roommate, right? If it was a few dollars, we'd, we'd probably say, oh, thank you. Thank you for paying that bill for me. But what if it was tens and thousands of dollars and our roommate paid it? We would not be just saying thank you, but we would fall at his feet. We would kiss his, our friend's feet. We'd say, thank you. I, this weight and this debt was so high upon me. Thank you. See, the bottom line is that the roommate's reaction hinges on the size of the debt paid. The issue is we don't know how big the debt is. Do we know how big the debt was paid for us? Do we have a picture of how big it is? Is it simply, thank you, God? Is anybody around the Thanksgiving table? Thank you. Is it, okay, if I go to church enough, if I do a layaway plan with God, if I do monthly installments, I can pay back the debt that he has given me. That's the kind of thanks and gratitude I need to give him. No way. There is no monthly installment. There is no layaway plan. There is nothing we can do to pay back the debt that God has paid for us. And in fact, it should leave us like that roommate coming down to our knees saying, Thank you, God. You have given me life. You have given me breath. You have given me all things. So that our position in life should constantly be one of thanksgiving for the goodness and graciousness that he has done to us. I mean, in the 16th century, when all those pastors got together and to talk about the way the church should look in England, you know, and one of the great questions that they asked themselves, you know, the poignant question, what is the meaning of life? What is the chief end that we're supposed to do? What was their answer? Go to church a lot? Pray all the time? Read your Bible over and over again? Now, what was it? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I love Martin Luther. Martin Luther says this. He says, love God and do what you want. <laughs> Isn't that the nature of our very life? That when we sit under what God has done for us and the debt He has paid, we will not just do it because we have to. We will do it because we want to. 
that is gratitude. That is thankfulness. Are you there? The thing is, it then gives us a perspective of the other debts that we have to pay in our own life. Okay? Of people we owe back to, right? Our parents. The bank. Visa. (laughs) You know? know? Or a friend that has, has bent over backwards for us time and time again. Or maybe the inner things in our mind that I have to prove myself to this person or that person for what they have done for me. And the thing is, and we, we put those things in context of the debt that God has paid, they pale in comparison to let us know I have to pay no debt back to anyone else. Because my righteousness and my value ultimately comes from Christ. Not from how much is in my bank account, or how much debt I owe, or how much mortgage I owe, or how much my parents want me to do X or Y or Z. My gratefulness comes to Him. Now hear me. When you see that, then you will also pour out your gratitude and thankfulness for those that have blessed you. Now, to parents, to those that have provided financially, and given mercy and money to those that are in need, I hope you do not lord over them. Because do you not know that every gift that you have came from God himself? So that these people don't have to live up to your expectations. I think there's a parable about that, isn't there? (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Verses 7 through 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You can see that, one, from reading David's life story, that a trouble did follow him a lot. He ran from Saul. He feared for his life. There was many times that he was in major, major trouble. But in the midst of that trouble, he still gives thanks to God. He gives thanks in all circumstances, as Thessalonians points out. I mean, Thessalonians is just pointing out what David points out in the Psalms, that he gives thanks no matter whatever he's facing. But again, it gets back to my question that I asked at the beginning. How can my sister give thanks? How can my brother give thanks? How can anyone give thanks? When things, maybe this year or in your past, have been very, very difficult and hard. St. John of Avila says this about Thanksgiving. One act of Thanksgiving when things go wrong with us, is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable to our inclinations. One act of thanksgiving when things are going wrong for us is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable to, when things are agreeable to our inclinations. So here is Anne Volskamp. She's written her a thousand things. And then her son, in a farm accident, greatly mangles his hand, losing function in one of the fingers. And her brother and her mom, both people that have lost children, 
to death. Come to her and comfort her and say, thank God for his grace. And you can see in the midst of that, she's like, I don't want to thank God for his grace. What has he done? What if my son had lost his very arm? What if he had died? Can I give thanks and grace to God? And she, she writes about the ability to not see through the lenses that God sees through. To God sees eternally. And she does not. So in the midst of that moment of not seeing the eternal picture, what will she do? And, and here's the difference between ingratitude and then gratitude and thankfulness. Hear this. No scripture glasses to read what God is trying to write through a prodigal child. Scrawl my own quick editing on the half-finished story. Failure. Satan's tongue darts. Not wearing a biblical lens to decipher the meaning of a doctor's ominous diagnosis. Just read Satan's slippery interpretation. Cheated. Not using anything to bend the light of this world so I can read my own messy days. Spray on another layer of graffiti. Worthless. So I have been ambushed. Without God's word as a lens, the world warps. Can you give thanks when things are not clear? Can you give thanks when you think you, in your own thinking, in your own lies, you think you've been cheated? You're worthless. You're a failure. That God would speak over you and say this. I love you. I care for you. I am for you. I am doing these things because I am your father and you are my son and you are my daughter. You know, Thanksgiving didn't start at the Revolutionary War. I didn't know that. Uh, in fact, Thanksgiving uh, didn't become a national holiday uh, until 1864. And uh, Abraham Lincoln is the one that kind of said, oh, I'm going to take some things that different states did earlier in our history and have it for our whole nation. And so that's why we celebrate, you know, the fourth Thursday, fourth Thursday at the end of November, is that what it says in the, in the document? That's what Abraham Lincoln pronounced, and every president has done it, so on and so forth. But you think about it, uh, 1863 is when he uh, um, made this proclamation. Uh, it was not a good year, <laughs> okay? Not a good year at all. In fact, more Americans had died um, than all our wars combined in those years. Over 600,000 people. 100,000 in one day at Antietam just the year before. And now he wants to give thanks. <laughs> now he wants to say, oh, we should give thanksgiving. But it is, I encourage you, look it up, the, the um, proclamation of thanksgiving that Abraham Lincoln gives and the ways that he thanks God for little things that have happened in the nation even in the midst of war. And then at the very end he says this, talking about all things that have happened in the past. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. 
They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, have nevertheless remembered mercy. And it seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. That's our, that's our president, Abraham Lincoln. You know, there was another feast. There was another Thanksgiving feast before our Thanksgiving feast. And it was a Thanksgiving feast where Jesus gathered with his 12 disciples. And he took a concrete thing, bread, and he broke it. And he said, thank you for this, God my Father. And he gave thanks to God, in the midst of knowing that one of the guys of these twelve would betray him, the rest of them would wander away from him, and he gave thanks even knowing that he was going to die and be crucified the next day. But he still gave thanks. Because he knew his father was good and gracious and loving He ate at the feast knowing he would die the next day, but he did it. He gave thanks because he knew that God was taking this and using it for his purposes and his plans. Do you have that posture? You know what the good news of the gospel is? That Jesus took that posture for us. He did it when we couldn't do it ourselves. He gave thanks to God while he hung upon a tree so that we might be able to have life, that we might be able to follow behind him. And even when things are hard, even when we sin, even when we fall short, we can go to him and look up at that cross and say, thank you. Thank you for giving me life and breath and saving me from death. And when I look at that, my whole life should be a position of gratitude towards you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is the good news of the gospel. The good news that you have come and died for us. That you gave thanks even when you were going to face death. When you were going to be separated from your Father. Because you knew he had a plan. We pray that we would be able to have that same attitude a position of thankfulness and gratitude towards what you have done for us. In son's name we pray. Amen. Well, let us sing in gratitude and thanks this last song together. <laughs>